Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue episode number 90. This interview is Karen Behal, founder and CEO of Pretty Secrets, a really interesting e-commerce site serving India with lingerie, nightwear, swimwear and more. Aside from being part of the burgeoning movement online, Pretty Secrets is quite the revolution for the Indian market. In this interview, we talk about the opportunities and challenges faced in growing the business, including the logistics and marketing activities. You can listen to Pretty Secrets to get in the mood for Valentine's. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minta Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue show. Today, oh, I piped in from Mumbai, India, I have a man called Karen Behal. So, Karen, tell us who you are and what's your mindset? So, hi, Minter. Uh, like you said, I'm Karan Mahal, and uh, I founded uh, PrettySecrets.com, uh, India's first and only uh, online exclusive, exclusive lingerie brand uh, in 2012. I've been in the lingerie business for the last decade, and uh, I'd like to think myself as part of the new wave of uh, India e-commerce. Uh, my mindset, I've always been one of, uh, I mean, I've always been of an entrepreneurial nature, uh, I'd like to call myself an opportunist, but uh, a responsible opportunist. Like that. So look at really businesses which uh, which I feel have huge potentials to grow, where I can enjoy what I do, um, and uh, learn from the experiences that have accumulated over my uh, you know the last ten years of working. So my mindset to really uh, summarize would be uh, two things that I enjoy, where I can really contribute and make a difference, and yes, uh, hopefully also build uh, good, sustainable, and scalable businesses. Like that. Rehan, so pretty secrets. So we're selling lingerie in India. I mean, I've got to believe that's a fairly risque proposition. Well, how did you get into it? So lingerie, you're absolutely right. Lingerie as a, as a category in India is, is really less than 10 years old. It's a very infant category. Uh, a lot of people in India viewed, and some of them still view, uh, the category as taboo and are uncomfortable talking about it. Uh, my family actually uh, has been manufacturing and exporting uh, uh, ladies' sleepwear uh, for close to slightly over 30 years now uh, to large uh, department stores and e-commerce companies in Europe. So that's where I, uh, uh, I, I sort of developed my interest, and, and I looked at those products, and I felt that there was a huge market for them in India, and uh, that's when, in uh, 2005, uh, just out of college, I uh, set up uh, a, a sleepwear boutique by the name of Pretty Secrets. And, uh, and that's, that's sort of where my journey started, sort of taking product, uh, seeing the opportunity for products that we were exporting, tweaking them for the India market, and then uh, retailing uh, in India. All right, so you, you started off as a, as a retail brick-and-mortar store. And then when did, you, when did e-commerce come into it, or was that from the beginning? So uh, e-commerce uh, happened actually much later. Uh, in 2005, I set up Pretty Secrets as a laundry, as a sleepwear boutique, really. But uh, uh, it almost grew. It grew very quickly, and it had a cult-like status in uh, in Bombay. Uh, in about by 2010, we were retailing Pretty Secrets in about 250 to 300 stores, including most of the large format retailers in India and so on. 
Uh, the, uh, I'd always wanted to go online and do e-commerce, having struggled with the unorganized nature of India retail and specifically the laundry business. But it wasn't until uh, 2012, uh, so about a year and a half ago, when we actually decided to you know, pivot our entire business model online and, uh, and sort of create a brand, uh, prettysecrets.com, which, uh, which would aim to address a lot of the pain points that offline brick and mortar laundry really had. Um, so, yes, we, we, we did offline laundry for uh, almost eight years before I pivoted online and uh, uh, I'm very, very happy with the decision. Well, I mean, uh, amongst any, anything else, all that work has allowed you to really understand the customer base and, and what are the interests and the morphology issues and, and, and what are the kind of concerns people have. That's right. So. I think the uh, what what I realized was that uh, the customer uh, demand and the customer base is very large in India, but uh, laundry specifically as a product group, the the market was largely unorganized. So almost ninety percent of the laundry that sells in India sells through mom and pop unorganized stores with you know no trial rooms, uh, lack of proper sales staff. So most of the sales staff are men. Uh, because of the geography of India and and the constraints of the SKU-driven business that Laundry is, very high SKUs, uh, uh, customers really aren't getting a, a you know very good experience in the stores. However, being almost a utility-like product in the sense that customers need to consume a certain amount of Laundry, uh, they were forced to buy it from these stores. And working within that ecosystem was very frustrating for me uh, when we were in the offline business. Because, you know, here we had products which customers were more than happy to buy, a brand they were wanted to experience, but we weren't able to get through to them in the right way. Mm. So we really look at e-commerce essentially just as a different channel. We're, we're a brand business. E-commerce is the best channel to reach our customer at the moment. And uh, and it circumvents a lot of these problems. So, so I think we took all the learnings that we had in the in uh, with the offline space and, uh, and leveraged those online because the customer is really the same. E-commerce is just... A different channel, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I love. I, I do want to say I do love the name Pretty Secrets. It's um, it's powerful. I mean, at the same time, I'm thinking. You know, I work with a lot with um, One Stop Plus, which works in plus sizes, and I think about the issues that consumers might have uh, with them. Um, you know, trial and uh, exposing themselves. You know, the dirty secret Curtis wrote, uh, and, and so the, the fact that it's online allows for, and I noticed that you have a, a really interesting packaging proposal that keeps the secrecy of what's being delivered. So, I, I mean, it seems like that's a really good fit for you in India. That's right. I think a lot of uh, women in India, like I mentioned earlier, uncomfortable really talking about laundry. And uh, uh, more often than not, uh, uh, you know, a lot of men also see the subject as taboo. So discrete packaging, as you mentioned, was one of the key sort of areas which we had to look at to make sure that, and this is a learning actually we had from our brick and mortar retail yeah. days. We used to run laundry stores where, you know, the, the bag said, uh, you know, the name of the store was Lace and the below the logo it would say the laundry club. And there were customers who wouldn't take that bag and carry it around in the mall because it said the laundry club and they didn't want people looking at them differently. Uh, so, I mean, these are the kind of learnings that we took into online. However, that being said, uh, uh, you're absolutely right. It is a product which ideally uh, needs to be tried on, right? However, there are two things here. One, uh, when we when we speak laundry, we don't confine ourselves only uh, to bras and briefs. Uh, includes sleepwear, shapewear, swimwear, and all other associated products. Mm -hmm. 
To give you an idea, bras only contribute about 35% of our revenue at present. And that's really where the sizing issue lies. Uh, anywhere else, it's, it's just like any other apparel product, be it a shirt or, uh, or sure. a dress or something like that. Uh, also, uh, in India, I think even more so because the offline experience of buying laundry is so poor, and most stores don't allow you to even try this product because, well, they don't have a trial room for one. Uh, there's also the added problem of not having the size available because stores stock limited SKUs and then cross or upsell you into the wrong size. At least online, you circumvent that pain point by giving a wider assortment of products. Uh, so, And this is the world over. I mean, the world over uh, uh, in the lifestyle or apparel category, uh, as far as e-commerce is concerned, laundry penetration is fairly high. Uh, it's usually higher than base. So it's a product which is apt for selling online. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, to circumvent some of the pain points, we offer very flexible return policies, uh, uh, you know, guidance online to get people into the right, right size and so on. So yes, it, it would be a pain point, but very small in comparison to all the conveniences that we provide, you know, allowing people to shop for this from the comfort of their desktops. All right, so this is not a naive question, but customer service or your your online help desk. Um, these are these are people who are in India and who are presumably feminine and trained to talk about morphology and all that to help them understand their sizing. Uh, absolutely. In fact, uh, I mean they're all women for one. But uh, very early on, we realized that most of the uh, questions or the queries that we had on our customer service, whether by email, call, or chat were not really about uh, uh, shipment-related or logistics. They were more about what kind of laundry to buy. Right. So even at present, about 20 to 25% of our orders are placed by our customer service team in our office. So these are people who are, uh, who are helping customers get into the right kind of laundry and uh, more often than not helping men select laundry for, uh, for women. About uh, 18 to 20% of the customers on the site are men. So, uh, so yes, these are uh, these are people who've actually had physical experience of buying uh, of retailing laundry. So, most of them are sales uh, uh, staff from offline laundry stores, mm -hmm. and we can leverage those uh, uh, those expertise they have. We leverage that online. That's great. All right, so let's just uh, do a little bit numbers. Tell us about how big Pretty Secrets is. So, Pretty Secrets started in uh, October of 2012. So, we're under a year and a half old. We've grown substantially in that time. Uh, we currently get about uh, close to 600,000 visitors a month on the site, on prettysecrets.com. Uh, we, uh, we really, uh, besides prettysecrets.com, we also retail Pretty Secrets, the brand, on other websites now. So these are large websites like Javong. Uh, we're also looking at uh, starting with uh, Mintra.com and Flipkart very soon. Uh, more in, uh, in line with building the brand. Uh, and getting the product out there. So for us, one of the key parameters always is the number of products of Pretty Secrets that we sell a month. And currently, that's over between twenty-five to 30,000 units a month. So uh, we're growing very quickly. We grow, we're growing currently at about 20 25% a month. Uh, that has gone as high as even 40% a month. In the first year, we grow, grew almost 500%. So we're growing very quickly. Uh, a lot of it is organic. Uh, about 50% of our traffic or 40 to 50% is already organic, comes either through direct organic sources or through our email campaigns. We've shipped out over 100,000 orders. So, uh, yes, I mean, we're very excited about how things are going right Good now. Good for you. And, all right, so you mentioned you sell through Jabong and, Jabong and other um, retailers, e-retailers. Wow. That's talk, right. Talk, talk to us through about pricing because that's, I, that's usually uh, can be a tricky area. 
so uh, actually uh, so that's something which uh, uh, i think a lot of indian retailers and e-commerce especially has sort of looked at price as one of the early uh, factors to induct people into e-commerce however what we've seen in, and this is probably more specific to lingerie as the market is that actually comfort fit and styling uh, uh, rank higher in terms of parameters when people decide to buy uh, our products or not uh price comes third and then uh, it's followed fourth by brand so uh because laundry is such a new uh a new category in india and no real brands have established the, themselves as yet customers are still open to trying buying experimenting and actually trying to get products that match uh, their needs and their their style before they worry about price or brand it's something of course which will change in time but uh we i mean we're very excited about that because uh, uh traditionally people usually going into go into buying patterns in terms of laundry and because of familiarity with certain brands but e-commerce also uh, targets uh, women of a younger age group who are not only more apt to buy online but are also more apt to try new laundry online mm-hmm. so price hasn't been too much of a concern for us that being said it's also stemmed from the fact that uh uh being reasonably priced is one of uh, uh our key sort of focus areas uh because we understand that the potential uh, size of the market uh, would be greatly uh, inhibited if we if we made our brand too exclusive or unaffordable uh-huh, sure all right well this all right so most of the people on this uh, podcast are, are not going to be based in india or have a great knowledge about the indian market but one of my uh, passions having been in india and and met you <clears throat> the, over christmas was to to talk a little bit more about the Indian market because of course it's the it's on everybody's um radar as far as the brick and and expansion can uh, consider you know for european companies or north american companies so e- e-commerce in india uh, tell us what's the state of e-commerce in india how how's it growing so uh, to give you give you an idea e-commerce in india was uh, the market was pegged at about 2.5 billion dollars in 2009 uh four years hence in 2013 it's at 16 billion dollars it it grew 88% just last year so uh and conservative estimates suggest that the size of the e-commerce market should reach 56 billion dollars uh within the next decade and this is of course on the back of rapidly growing internet penetration uh the opportunity for online retail is actually tremendous there there are currently about 150 million active internet users in india and this number is growing at breakneck speed so i think uh, uh, like in a lot of businesses india is is leaping ahead uh, on the uh, you know uh, on the back of technology and uh, and e-commerce really is uh, you know uh, is one of the beneficiaries really of this uh, of this internet penetration growth so it's a it's a very very exciting market as you know as a consumer economy india is one of the largest so uh we are very very excited to be a, a good part of that that's really. that's for sure all right so but you know when we talk about e-commerce uh, we're talking about deliveries and let's right. say the infrastructure road infrastructure is a, is a hugely important one what what to what extent is is your business today um you know metropolitan as in cities uh and what how is it going to ha- you know as we get bigger and the e-commerce and internet penetration becomes more spro- spread out how do you see that evolving so uh, actually e-commerce uh, penetration in the non-metropolitan areas so outside of the big cities is fairly high for us it's close to about 45% 55% is coming from the 
top 12 metropolitan cities of India, and the rest comes from, uh, you know, tier two and tier three cities. And I think uh, uh, that's actually uh, very telling of uh, the Indian consumer mindset, that uh, uh, India geographically being so spread out uh, has a lot of small uh, towns which, uh, you know, has a good consumer base, but haven't been within the radar of conventional organized retail and then hence missed out on a lot of products and, and product choice and convenience and have had to wait to, you know, for their trips to a large city to actually buy. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, uh, these people would have to wait until their trip abroad to Dubai or London until they bought. And now the same thing is happening rural to urban. So mm-hmm. e-commerce has basically allowed, uh, uh, you know, people to now sit in a small town in rural India and have access to the same uh, uh, same products that anyone else would. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of logistics, yes, you're right. Uh, the logistics uh, setup is victim to uh, infrastructure and such. And most of e-commerce, especially smaller, uh, you know, people who have not been able to develop their own final mile delivery and logistics systems, are, are going to be, uh, you know, subject to that ecosystem. So, uh, however, we've seen, I mean, we've been part of this business for a year and a half, and we've seen the improvement in uh, in logistics and delivery infrastructure, and there's a lot of money and investment coming into that. So I'm certain that that's something which is definitely going to get uh, larger. You know, large players, international players like FedEx now, uh, FedEx has completed its acquisition of a large courier company in India and now is entirely FedEx. Uh, you know, DHL is here. So a lot of these large companies are in here and they're, they're working very hard on e-commerce fulfillment because they really see that as, as one, of, one of the large sort of chunks of their courier traffic. So it will improve. Uh, we'd like it to improve a lot quicker and it'll be good for, for everybody really. Surely. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. If you look at the Indian continent uh, and we think about logistics centers, are there some areas that are becoming the, the, the focal points for logistics uh, to be able to distribute out, or is it still mostly coastal? How does it work? Uh, in terms of domestic, uh, domestic uh, uh, logistics, uh, no, I think there would be four or five main hubs from which, uh, you know, next day shipping to most metropolitan sh- cities is entirely possible. Uh, it's also happened, so it's, you know, Mumbai, Bangalore, Hyderabad, Chennai, New Delhi, uh, so these are areas which which are very well connected. Uh, a lot of this has had to do with the aviation sector and the boom there. Uh, that's a sector which is even growing, growing even more as we speak. There are two new domestic airlines coming up within this year. So uh, I think India is getting a lot more connected. Uh, definitely from, you know, uh, five years ago, uh, the situation is very, very different. And like I mentioned earlier, it's it's really investment into uh, uh, logistic systems, warehousing, fulfillment. And this isn't really always in technology. It's also in terms of manpower and expertise. We're, I mean, the kind of names that we're seeing, um, the experiences that these pe- people are really bringing to uh, this uh, this support system, really, uh, it's immense. That's and cool. uh, uh, it's, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, because in the end of the day, when you're up against an Amazon of the world, I think of the, the ability to provide next-day shipping, great service, is such an integral part of the success of e-commerce. All right, let's just talk about social. Um, so what is your uh, opinion and how important is social in your strategy? So um, uh, social, actually, as a brand, social is very, very important. Uh, you know, uh, almost 90% of our customers currently on Pretty Secrets are below the age of 35. Uh, their activity on uh, social media like Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, etc. is very high. 
So especially as we're a brand, like I said earlier, and not an e-commerce company, uh, not only are we convincing people to, to really buy lingerie online, we're also trying to convince them to buy a new brand online. Uh, so the challenge really is twofold. So the way we see it is the best kind of marketing for us is word of mouth uh, or peer-to-peer marketing, which really uh, in the lingerie category comes largely from one's experience with the product itself. Uh, so social media and other peer groups are of the utmost uh, importance as far as we're concerned. So we do have a social strategy in place as far as Facebook goes. We've just started with, uh, you know, Twitter and Pinterest. Uh, we've also got a very active community uh, on our own website. We call that Pretty Secrets Life or PS Life, which is a community section with uh, a blog, with, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes uh, snapshots of the brand, uh, you know, uh, model bios, uh, and so on. So we see a lot of activity there. One challenge that we've seen really is that, like I said earlier, lingerie is uh, uh, not always a comfortable subject to talk about. Especially so in public. Some, exactly. So sometimes it becomes hard to show, uh, you know, public allegiance to a lingerie brand. Uh, and uh, so that's something which we're working on, sort of working on ways around that. I mean, to give you an idea, we'll put on uh, a video on YouTube where people can view it anonymously and we'll get you know, 30,000 views within a week. Uh, but a Facebook page, which has been uh, active for a year, has only 30,000 likes. So uh, for a site that gets, you know, more than 20,000 visitors a day, uh, fully integrated with Facebook, that doesn't seem like a lot. And that's the reason why. So we're working towards that. The mindset also is changing of women in India. Uh, they're definitely getting uh, more open to talking about laundry and uh, uh and we hope to, to a certain degree, also be agents of that change. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I can just imagine. That's why the, why the question. And I, and I was also very interested in the fact that you got a blog. So um, who's managing that in the team? And uh, what, I mean, how do you view the success of the blog in terms of driving traffic? So uh, as far as the blog goes, uh, one thing in terms of even how the Pretty Seekers team is built, and we've essentially uh, sort of built a team around people who are passionate about lingerie uh, and then sort of filled in functions, you know, whether it's expertise within social or customer service or buying and such. So there's always a, a very heavy list of, uh, of blog contributions from within our team. And, uh, and so we don't depute just one person to come up with this blog because they are you know, at least three or four different uh, people in the office who have significant laundry understanding and expertise, uh, we sort of share the blogging responsibilities amongst them. However, with the blog, we try and not always keep it, uh, it's not sales-driven, really. It's more uh, about creating engaging and interesting content, uh, of course, related to laundry uh, uh, to a large degree. And uh, it's one we have a, a fairly uh, uh, high readership to most of our blogs. Well, I certainly have to applaud the initiative. All right. So speaking of uh, human resources and leadership, do you remunerate uh, your contributors uh, or how do you motivate them? I mean, uh, they're passionate, granted, but let's say, you know, at a certain point at the end of the year, you've got a conversation. Listen, uh, thank you, uh, employee X. You've been doing a great job. Your, your, but your blog posts are not getting as much attention as we need or <laughs> how does that go? I think uh, uh, at, at currently it's it's very early, so we haven't reached that uh, that part in the business. We've been you know sort of coming up with very high quality content. So internally, uh, you know how we uh, whether we incentivize it or not is uh, we've not really looked at that yet. But uh, 
the uh, uh, the blog itself quality hasn't suffered right now. We've had a lot of good good posts. One thing that we're looking at doing is also generating some blog content from outside of our office. So even guest bloggers who would come on and talk about laundry or issues related to laundry. Uh, and again, uh, since it is uh, it is a category or a subject that uh, that women who are passionate about laundry love to talk about. Uh, there seem to be enough, you know, subjects or, or topics really to cover uh, to last us for the next couple of years. I'm sure. In the States and England, I've seen a few um, networks of, uh, let's say, blogger distribution channels so that there are individuals that are well known, at least have a strong following on topics like mm-hmm. fashion uh, or food and so on. And then as a brand, they uh, interface with them and they try to keep their part impartiality so that they can make reviews that are, are strong and then become, yeah. in, in essence, kind of, well, I don't want to say partner because it's not back, it's not, there's not a back deal involved. But are there in India people that you're reaching out to who are influential in fashion or in, in lingerie? I think uh, one of the, so, so we did this and uh, I think a lot of it, uh, uh, isn't as professional as as you describe in the West. A lot of the 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 big bloggers and uh, uh, I mean they tend to uh, want to be compensated monetarily, uh, and it hasn't really seemed. I mean it hasn't always seemed very clear to me. So what we did was we sort of had an outreach initiative where we targeted a lot of smaller bloggers. Um, so these were not people whose maybe full time job was blogging. Or, but but had an active fan base and we and the challenge really was that a lot of the, a lot of them loved uh, pretty secrets the business once introduced to it but hadn't heard of it so we got them to sort of experience the brand uh, and actually uh, uh, you know uh, do it along the lines of how internationally they do an unwrapping of product so we actually had them buy products on the site they they bought these products they experienced them and then we said look uh, you know the only thing we want from you is for you to uh, to share those experiences on your blog, good or bad. Uh, we, we don't edit them at all. We're not involved in that. And that was something that worked very well for us. We started this about a month and a half ago, and we've already had close to 20 different uh, bloggers who've actually, uh, you know, posted blogs with an entire unwrapping of our products. And, uh, you know, and most of them have been good. And some areas where, uh, you know, the, the experiences haven't been so great, you know, uh, it's not something that we try and hide. Those are the things that we try and actually work on. So, yes, we, we have done it, but uh, not on a very large sort of commercial scale because we want to keep it as organic and, and genuine as really possible. I like that. I like the sound of that. All right. So um, with Pretty Secrets, what are the big drivers of traffic? You mentioned email a little while ago. What are the – how the you, and, and how much you get on, on – uh, on that's natural. What are the big drivers for you and what converts best? Sure. So about uh, 60% of the traffic right now comes from paid sources. So that's, uh, you know, Google, uh, CPC marketing, uh, Facebook display ads, um, other display ads and affiliates and so on. Um, in terms of what converts best for us, in ter- uh, as far as the customer acquisition cost goes, they're all uh, fairly at the same level. Uh, however, the conversion rates vary uh, uh, significantly, but then, so do the cost of those uh, sources. So I think, uh, so you've got one kind of person who's actually out there looking for Pretty Secrets merchandise, who who comes most often, comes organically. Uh, then you've got another bunch of people who are out there uh, looking for Sorry. lingerie. Uh, Sorry about that. Sure, so you've got another bunch of people who are actively looking for lingerie, and those are people who come most from Google. 
And then depending on the product categories where we're strong, we convert fairly high over there. Uh, besides that, we do a lot of push marketing, so a lot of uh, interest uh, targeting on Facebook. And uh, uh, that's something which is more longer term. So it's maybe two or three visits before they actually convert. But uh, again, uh, like I said, over a, a period of time in terms of cost per acquisition, they're all fairly at the same level. Uh, but conversion rates definitely in the paid would all definitely be highest from uh, Google CPC marketing. And also maybe because we don't go very broad in terms of our marketing, we try to keep our acquisition costs rational. Uh, and um, so, yes, I mean, so it, we're fairly uh, uh, tight on the number of keywords that we really bid on. Mm -hmm. uh, the best uh, medium still remain organic uh, and email for us, really. And what's your email uh, path? How many people do you have subscribing to your email these days? And uh, how often do you send it out? So uh, we were very concerned about the uh, uh, the uh, the quality of email databases because that's something from past experience. I was very clear that we'd rather have a smaller set of uh, uh, customers on email, but ones which are more active and sort of keep very high list hygiene. So we never pushed the email as a subscription uh, email subscriptions. We kept it largely to people who've actually transacted on our site. Uh, and then registered for the newsletter. But yes, if they're interested, they also can. So we currently have over 100,000, about 120,000 people on the email. We send out three emails a week. And uh, to give you an idea, it, it accounts for close to 10% of our revenue just uh, from uh, from email newsletters. Uh, this was actually higher until about six months ago when uh, uh, Google and Gmail uh, uh, started uh, marking emails as promotional. Uh, in India, almost 70% of email IDs are Gmail, and that, that was a significant hit. But still, it's it's close to 10%. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very vital part of our uh, our uh, customer retention strategy. Can you talk about open rates? Sure. So open rates currently uh, range anywhere between 12 to 15%. And uh, click rates are upwards of 3%. So 3 to 4% click rates, uh, 12 to 15% open rates. Cool. All right, so uh, not uh, almost a nasty word, profitability. Uh, in e-commerce, anyway, how are you doing on profitability? What are the, what's going to help you uh, become more profitable? I think being a very early stage company uh, right now, our key focus uh, has has been to build scale and uh, get the brand out there to as many uh, customers as possible. Uh, and uh, you know, I think uh, uh, a balance has to be really made that. You know, you can sacrifice uh, a certain amount of uh, profitability or, pro or the time to profitability for growth. And I think that's the stage that we are right now. However, going forward, I think the key to profitability will be the success of the brand and, and our ability to sort of create a lasting appeal. Uh, if we can do that, then uh, the, the task becomes relatively easier because the product itself is one of necessity. Uh, if we can build a large enough, uh, uh, you know, base of loyal customers, uh, this is a product that we know they need. We'll adapt to their needs to a certain point and hope that they become, uh, you know, ambassadors of the brand. So profitability is something I feel long term would is, is largely going to be around brand and, and the loyalty that we can build. Uh, sometimes I look at other e-commerce models, especially the uh, more of the horizontal plays, and I wonder about what they're doing to build that lasting appeal. But for us, it's uh, it's very, very clear we're a brand business uh, uh, and brand by way of how we market ourselves, how we package ourselves, and most importantly, the product and services that we provide. And that's where really profitability will come from. Once we have a large enough consumer base, 
Uh, and we just like to play and build within that and acquire more customers by word of mouth as opposed to a very high costs of, uh, you know, customer acquisition that we may be incurring right now. Yeah. And plus, as you're saying before, it's a, a rather inelastic product category. Uh, what about logistics? Is that going to be a, an area of concern with the number of returns? Is that something that you can optimize more, a lot more as well? Um, so actually returns is something which has been very interesting and so pleasantly surprising for us. We had, we had estimated uh, a much higher amount of returns today. Our returns are under 4% and that actually uh, includes uh, failed deliveries. Hmm. So uh, it's something we had thought would be 10 or 15%. You know, in the UK, laundry e-commerce returns are between 20 to 25%. And so, even worse in Germany. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. So, so I mean, uh, that's something we've been pleasantly surprised by. I'm sure as e-commerce uh, evolves and the customer base becomes larger, that number will go up. But um, I feel that the benefit of, and especially within the laundry category, the benefit of, of giving easy returns far outweighs the cost of the actual returns itself. Because customers need that confidence that if this product doesn't fit or they don't like it, uh, they can return it. But uh, currently returns haven't been a very large problem for us. In terms of logistics, like I said, we're we are victims or uh, we're uh, you know, part of the larger logistics ecosystem and, and being, you know, uh, a laundry brand whose, whose focus is really brand and customer service and the experience that we are providing. Uh, we rely largely on other courier companies to deliver this product. And I see that ecosystem growing uh, very rapidly and getting very efficient very quickly. Splendid. Right. Well, um, uh, what, what would be, uh, I don't want to call the dirty secrets, but um, what would be the uh, your source of inspiration for e-commerce? I think, uh, uh, like I keep mentioning, we always view ourselves as a laundry brand. And uh, I think there's a, uh, there's a market in India uh, for, for a laundry brand, really, to build something uh, which, is, which is different and something that, the, that customers need. As you know, India is going through, uh, you know, a huge uh, movement or an upheaval of sorts as far as uh, you know, women's rights and uh, and so on go. You know, yeah. you know. So, so I think we we also look at ourselves as as part a small part of that change. And if we can do it through laundry, if we can make women feel you know sexy and confident and independent and uh, and and fashionable and sort of contribute to their self esteem, you know, I think we would have played some part in this. And uh, and we see that as in women are, are getting more and more comfortable speaking about lingerie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to give you an idea, we sell more push-up bras than we do minimizers. Uh, we sell more bikini swimsuits than we sell uh, swimwear. These are things which, uh, if you if you even mention this to somebody in the lingerie trade in India, uh, in the offline lingerie trade, would not believe. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a fact that uh, India is changing very very quickly. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to look at ourselves as, uh, as you know an agent for, of our change, and that's that's a really big part of our inspiration uh, to build really a lingerie brand in India, which is which is world class. You know, uh, uh, along the lines of uh, Victoria's Secrets or La Senza or uh, you know Alamu in China. Um, uh, and e-commerce is is a is a you know excellent medium for this. Um, it can be sort of the harbinger of, of of change really as far as the laundry buying experience goes. So we're very very happy where we are, and we're really excited about uh, uh, you know what uh, the future brings. Well, I am thrilled. So, Karen, um, we talked before the show started recording that you had an offer you'd like to make. Uh, what would you like, any of the Indian viewers, because I know you're not international, so any, any Indian listeners, what, what offer can you give them? 
Sure. I mean, for you, uh, we definitely like more and more people to come onto our site. So uh, we'll post a link on, I mean, you can post a link for uh, for an offer code that we'll put on of, you know, 25% off on any orders uh, that come through that link and we'll give a voucher code that they can apply to all your, your listeners in India. All right. Spectacular. I'll put a, a date limit on that one. And uh, Karen, how can anyone reach you, track you down, follow you? So my email is uh, Karan at uh, prettysecrets.com. That's K-A-R-A-N at prettysecrets.com. I I think email is the best way. I I love hearing from people, and especially, uh, you know, definitely the listeners of your show. Uh, And, of course, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I I love to be reached out and and talk to fellow like-minded people. So, Well, uh, hopefully I can promote and encourage as many people to reach out to you as possible. Loved having you on the show, Karen. Really great, great insights, operational stuff, and I'm hopefully uh, useful for the listeners as well. I look forward to uh, some pretty secrets uh, coming out uh, from India. Thank you very much, Minter. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes, and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.